Stanford Football 2021. The season is finally here. It's game week. And it's time for a new edition of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network and presented by Bet Online. So glad you're here with us. I'm Troy Clarity. It's Thursday, September 2nd, 2021, and it is game week. Stanford taking the field this Saturday. A brunch kick, actually, no, a breakfast kickoff here on the West Coast, 9 a.m. as the Cardinal take the field in North Texas as they'll square off against the Kansas State Wildcats. We're going to break that game and everything Stanford-related down for you on the TreeCast. That's what we do. No one else does it better, certainly in the podcast space. And uh, for those of you who are Long veterans of the show, we've been doing this since 2015, and we've been on the Believe Podcast Network since March of 2020. You know what's up in, in store and coming up in the weeks ahead. Well, coming up on this show, we're, we're going to come out guns blazing uh, on the TreeCast with one of my favorite guests to have on the show, former Stanford wide receiver from 2003 to 2007, and now, for my money, one of the best football analysts out there, now with Fox. My man, Evan Moore, is about the best there is. We're going to get all of his thoughts on the latest news surrounding Stanford football. Yes, the quarterback situation as well. And what we can make of the things that we've seen so far up and down the Pac-12. And he's also got some Big 12 uh, game-calling experience under his broadcasting belt, too. So certainly he'll have some thoughts on Kansas State as well. Evan Moore, our special guest on this episode of the TreeCast. Thanks for being with us. I'm Troy Clarity. This is my 29th season of following and broadcasting Stanford football, also a Pac-12 network play-by-play announcer, my eighth year of calling seven, soon to be eight different sports for the Pac-12 network is already underway. Uh, plenty of soccer, a little bit of field hockey, and for the first time, volleyball. Uh, adding that to my repertoire for the Pac-12 network this upcoming fall. So between that and Stanford football, busy, busy times ahead. And certainly busy, busy times ahead for the TreeCast. As now that we're in the regular season, we're going to be coming your way twice a week. Once before every game and again after each game to break it all down. So folks, this is the perfect time. The perfect time to subscribe to the TreeCast via your favorite listening app. We're on Google Play. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on iHeart. We're on TuneIn. Any way you want to go, the TreeCast is there. Subscribe to the show now. Download it. Listen, react, review, and rate, and enjoy. That's all I ask of you. We're going to have a lot of fun this season. I can feel it. Um, before we do anything else, I feel the need to take you into the TreeCast Wayback Machine. We're going to go to the April 28th, 2021 edition of the show. We were talking Stanford football's quarterbacking situation then. And just to refresh everyone of what I said on that show in late April, let's revisit. Back in the Wayback Machine, we go to April 28th of this year. Wouldn't surprise me at all if you saw a lot of West and McKee even stretching into the season and through the season. Unless one guy stands head and shoulders above the rest right from jump. Get used to seeing a good deal of both West and McKee going forward. 
So that was on the TreeCast in late April, just over four months ago. How's the Stanford quarterback situation looking now? We'll get into that in just a moment. But first, this reminder, it's that time of year again. All eyes now turn into football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. So head to that website, use your mobile device, sign up today, receive your 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. If you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Stanford versus Kansas State. Some folks might have some financial interest in that game, if that is your sort of thing. And we're going to give you three things you need to know about Stanford football heading into the season opener right here and now. Let's start with number one. And we got the first hint of how Stanford was going to approach its quarterback situation against Kansas State this week when, when the Cardinal released its week one depth chart on Monday. And the starter at quarterback was listed as Jack West or... Tanner McKee. On Tuesday, David Shaw gave us a more thorough update. Uh, I'm not going to announce the starter right now. Uh, I will say that we will play both quarterbacks in this game. I, I will announce the starter later in the week. Uh, once we know who's going to start, then we'll say that. Um, won't, I won't talk about how they'll rotate, um, but they will rotate. Both guys will play uh, in this first game, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, from there. So perhaps by the time you hear this, Shaw will have named who is going to be taking Stanford's first snap. Uh, we'll get much deeper into this a bit later on, and we'll definitely get Evan Moore's thoughts on this, but it's not necessarily a surprising development. Heck, if you've been listening to the TreeCast since even before spring ball began, you knew this was probably the most likely outcome. We provided you the proof just a couple of minutes ago. Just saying. More on that in a couple of minutes. Let's get to number and it's not a David Shaw weekly press conference without an injury report. And while there are only three names on it this week, those three names, all pretty significant. Jonathan McGill uh, and Salim Turner-Muhammad will miss a good chunk of the season. We'll see if they're able to make it back by the end of the year. Um, we're counting on Michael Wilson at some point being able to uh, rejoin the team on the field. Um, uh, we'll see if that's hopefully some point before midseason. Um, but we're kind of leaving that gray until uh, he's able to come back. Yeah, boy, that's tough news about Michael Wilson. Was uh, hoping that he would be ready for Kansas State, but that is not to be one of the most competitive wide receivers that I think I've ever seen uh, suit up for the Cardinal. Uh, certainly not good news also for a secondary whose depth is already being tested. Salim Turner-Muhammad played so well down the stretch of big game last year. Uh, coaches are high on Caillou Blue Kelly, uh, Zaron Manley, and Ethan Bonner, the uh, three corners who are on Stanford's depth chart for this week. Uh, but man, it certainly would have been nice to have had Turner-Muhammad out there as well. And the safety group takes a hit too, without McGill, a big playmaker who could certainly make things happen in all points of the field. So who's going to hold it down at the safety positions? David Shaw tells us. Our entire safety group um, has been really good. I mean, Noah Williams, um, the veteran back there, um, played really well last year. Many remember from a, a huge play against Oregon a couple years ago, knocked the ball out, which helped us win that game. 
Um, he's been a steady performer for us uh, throughout the years. Um, uh, but uh, Williamson has had a great camp. I um, mean, he's a big, fast, physical safety back there. Um, and uh, uh, excited for him to have his best year and, and prove him, you know, much like Caillou, when these guys are on a mission to prove they're one of the better guys in the nation that play their position. That's David Shaw the safety group. And uh, look, let's face it, safety play for Stanford hasn't been the same since Justin Reed left and is now uh, getting paid to play safety for the Houston Texans. Um, he was kicking, I believe. Also a uh, place kicking in there uh, in the Houston Texans uh, preseason finale as well. Does does he get paid for that too? Hmm, interesting. Uh, speaking of uh, multi-talented uh, Stanford players, let's wrap up three things with number three. And one of the more intriguing Stanford players to watch this year could be Tucker Fisk. Fifth-year senior, a very good blocking tight end, and effective on screens for a while there, Stanford's best screen wasn't to its running back, it was to Tucker Fisk. Well, this year he's adding defensive line to his resume. Fisk is also listed as a Stanford second-string defensive lineman, and he could see 20 to 30 snaps a game at that spot on top of his tight end duties. Fellow defensive lineman Thomas Booker gave us a preview of what to expect from his new defensive line mate. Tucker's a natural. Um, I think his dad, if I'm not mistaken, played a defensive line in the NFL uh, we actually see him on our tapes sometimes when looking at NFL tape. It's pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, he definitely he definitely is kind of acclimated to the position very, very quickly. Um, I think some of it has to do with the fact that he's obviously got a really, really great body type for it, very strong lower body. But also just the experience uh, of being on a football team for now five years, um, he's not hesitant. You know, he lays his hands there. He's got heavy hands. So uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, because he's been a really welcome addition to our room. That's Thomas Booker. And yeah, Tucker's dad, Jason, played defensive line in the NFL for the Minnesota Vikings, if memory serves me correctly. And he also played at Stanford. I remember watching Jason play for the card during my undergraduate days on the farm, and now I feel older than normal. Now, some of you might remember in the spring game that Tucker Fisk played offense, defense, and special teams as a long snapper. Fisk is not on Stanford's depth chart as a long snapper, but but much like Owen Marisic a few years ago, you could be seeing a lot of Tucker Fisk on offense and defense this fall. Those are three things. And of course, the number one thing for Stanford is the quarterbacking situation. Looking forward to getting Evan Moore's thoughts on that coming up in just a few minutes or so. But 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 really. Some of my own further thoughts on, on on this whole deal. And and through spring ball and during the summer, I have the suspicion that David Shaw would name a starting quarterback, uh, but then leave the door open for significant playing time for the other candidate. Jack West and Tanner McKee, of course, the two guys in front. And you're also going to see some Isaiah Sanders sprinkled in in goal line and short yardage. So, so technically three guys are likely going to be taking snaps for Stanford on Saturday. No matter who is taking the snap at any particular time for Stanford, what is David Shaw looking for from his quarterback? Shaw told us during his weekly press conference on Tuesday. Being efficient um, with explosive capabilities is the name of the game. Um, we got to get the ball out of our hands on time. Got to throw the ball accurately. Um, we got to make the big throws when they present themselves so we can be efficient, but then also explosive. Um, but as important as anything for us, it's handling pre-snap and post-snap between the years. Um, you know, it's a lot of things that we ask our quarterbacks to do. Um, and, uh, and both guys have shown the ability to do it. So that's, that's as important to me as, as, as throwing the ball. 
but being able to be that field general and um, command the troops out there on the field and get us into the right plays and get us to the right protection and then get the ball to the right guy. That's David Shaw, and, and this is a, as good a time as any to remind you that when it comes to playing quarterback for David Shaw, the physical stuff is nice, but it's the pre-snap stuff and knowing what to do when the play in the when the play that gets called in the huddle needs to be changed at the line of scrimmage and commanding the huddle. Those three things, if you're going to be playing for quarterback for David Shaw, are much, much more important. Now, what's been the book on West and McKee? Well, West, and I've heard this quote on, 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 on Jack West from the coaches and the players almost ad nauseum the past few weeks and even dating back to the spring, West knows the offense. While McKee throws a better ball and has a better physical skill set. Now, given those things, I asked Coach Shaw how those respective individual skill sets for West and McKee could imprint themselves into the offense and how that could affect what we see against Kansas State. Now, Shaw didn't want to give a specific answer on that. That's understandable. He's, he's not going to be all, man, we got this rollout package for McKee ready to go. It's going to be tight. No, he's, he's not going to. He's not going to give an answer like that. But Shaw did offer up this tidbit when it comes to Weston McKee. My mentality is not so much um, getting guys to run the system. My mentality is that our philosophy of playing should cater to the quarterbacks. So um, all of our quarterbacks, we always ask them their top plays and we put those on the, on the call sheet. Um, so when a different guy's in, I know which plays to lean on based on what he has said, not necessarily just his skill set, but um, I'd love for a quarterback to hear it, to get a play call and go, oh, yeah, that's one that I wanted. That's one of my favorite plays. Um, so the offense for me and, and standard um, West Coast philosophy bends and morphs into whatever uh, benefits the quarterback. Um, so um, it's the same system, but um, you may see different things from different guys. Um, but we'll cater to their likes. We'll cater to what they've done well to uh, and performed well to in training camp. Yeah, and we've heard that McKee is more mobile and can do things out of the pocket. Um, I'd love to confirm that, but quite honestly, I can't. All I've really seen of McKee is what we saw from him uh, when he threw those seven passes against Oregon and got some spot duty uh, in the first and the second half against Oregon last year uh, against Oregon last year and in the spring game in which we didn't really see any mobility from McKee or anything that really took advantage of that supposed mobility. So I can't confirm it that way and I can't confirm it this way either. Stanford football practices are closed to the media. I I'd love to see it for myself, but I'm not invited. So perhaps we finally start to see those kinds of things on Saturday against Kansas State. And West has more experience. And in that game against Oregon last year, he played fine. He played fine, certainly considering the circumstances shoved into the pool after Davis Mills' COVID-19 test came back wonky during the pregame. So West played fine, certainly a lot better than his outcome against UCLA in 2019. But no matter who's taking the snaps, they got to make big throws. They got to make the right decisions pre-snap. And they got to command the huddle. And they also got to get a little help from everyone else around them too. So as I've been saying for over four months now, I would expect this competition to carry a bit. I'm not exactly sure that 
that everything is going to be solved here in week one with the quarterback position and that things settle down and solidify themselves after just one week of play. I would expect this to carry for a bit. Maybe into week four, perhaps. I don't know. Now, all that being said, I thought Shaw would name Jack West the starter for Kansas State with McKee seeing a lot of time as well. And that could still happen. Again, as I say this, Shaw has not named uh, the young man who's going to get the opening snaps uh, for the Cardinal this Saturday against the Wildcats. Shaw's not done that as I say this. That might have happened by the time you hear this. But I would think that this is going to be status quo, certainly for the first few weeks of the season. We'll get Evan Moore's thoughts on that coming up in just a couple of moments. But first, um, TreeCast is partnering with PlayActionPools.com this season. And it's going to bring some interactive fun to the sport that we love the most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayActionPools.com football pick'em challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em, at PlayActionPools.com. And then get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between NFL and college football. And whomever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. So you're going to get some swag if you know what you're doing with picking games. Again, go to playactionpools.com. Sign up for the contest. Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. Football. Pick them. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com today. They've got Survivor, Pick'em, as well as a cool sportsbook-style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your new home for all your office sports pools. Well, here we go. The college football season is here. Week one about to get underway in the Pac-12. It begins on Thursday with Utah hosting Weber State and Arizona State hosting Southern Utah. So we're finally here. And with this being the first week of the college football season, and since college football and Stanford football is what the tree cast does best, why not start out of the gate? I'm sorry, I wanted to shoot with one of our favorite guests on this show. And for my money, one of the best football analysts there is out there in the entire country. You've seen it. You see him on Fox. You have seen him on the Pac-12 Network. I've worked with him on the Pac-12 Network before, and you hear him all the time on Pac-12 This Morning on Sirius XM Channel 373. And oh, by the way, you saw him play wide receiver for Stanford from 2003 to 2007. Always a pleasure catching up with my man, Evan Moore. Evan, thanks a bunch as always. How you doing today? Troy, I'm great, man. Thank you. And thank you for that intro, too. I appreciate it. I mean, it's uh, that means a lot to me, all those things you said. Definitely appreciate that. And look, this whole offseason, there's been endless talk about things that have gone on in the larger world of college football, you know, things off the field, so to mm-hmm. speak, where it's, whether it's name, image, and likeness, whether it's realignment, whether it's the transfer portal. Uh, but in, in the midst of some crazy times, too, in our world, it is, it is just a great feeling to be, to be looking at a week of, of college football. Now, we just went through week zero. But now we're heading into week one where everyone's going to get a chance to strap it up this weekend. And um, I couldn't be more thankful for it. I think, uh, you know, football brings us all together. And this is what this is just what everybody needs right now is, is some good old fashioned college football. And and we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to start getting some answers. Stanford, of course, will begin getting some answers uh, with its opener in North Texas as they face uh, Kansas State uh, down at Jerry World. But one answer that we don't quite have right now, at least as we talk. Uh, who Stanford's quarterback one is going to be. Yeah. David Shaw during his weekly press conference on Tuesday, not announcing a starter at the quarterback position, saying that both Jack West and Tanner McKee 
will play, did not go into details on how specifically they might rotate, uh, but did say that that he might name a QB1 later on in the week, or at least a starter later on in the week. So that's what's supposed to happen. Uh, but as we talk here, your knee-jerk reaction to that news and how David Shaw is yeah. uh, uh, approaching the quarterback situation right now. Well, we came into the offseason uh, and really heading into training camp, too, in the Pac-12 conference by really only having four teams in this conference, three in the south, one in the north, uh, USC, UCLA, Arizona State, and then Cal in the north, that had no question who their quarterback was entering fall camp. So there, that leaves eight teams in this conference that entered fall camp not being 100% certain who their quarterback was. Some teams were more certain than others, like Washington, for example. I think they knew Dylan Morris was going to be their guy. They weren't ready to say that before camp, and now they have since said that. On the other hand, Stanford uh, you know, and several other teams have had legitimate quarterback competitions. And you know, i got to be honest with you, Troy. I figured that – or I, I assumed, I guess, that Tanner McKee would, would separate himself. And I think you know, David Shaw has heard that too, that, that people feel that way based on the recruit that Tanner McKee was. Um, but he was quick throughout training camp to remind everybody that Jack West is uh, – he's had a good camp and he's better than I think a lot of people just assume based on what we saw – Last year against Oregon, when Davis Mills had to sit out for a false positive test, and then two, a couple years ago against UCLA, when Jack had to start that game and really struggled. And so David Shaw quickly reminds us that, hey, there's more to his game than what you guys have seen. Now, that may be true, um, but I got, you know, just to be frank, I'm a little bit concerned that neither one of these guys has been able to separate themselves over the course of camp. And you also go back to, to spring ball as well. Unlike last year, there was spring football for one of these guys to, to be a separator. Now, we sort of have a little bit of a track record here in that the last time Stanford had a true quarterback controversy entering the season that persisted, uh, I believe was the Ryan Burns, Keller, Chris era. Mm -hmm. Now those guys are different. Like I'm not, you know, no two situations are exactly alike. And I think the talent here is different from the talent there, but we can't forget that Keller was very highly thought of, especially early on in his Stanford career. And I don't think either guy really developed because of the ongoing nature of the competition and kind of going back and forth from guy to guy till they finally settled on KJ. And so my hope here, and I guess somewhat my concern, is that we don't see a repeat in that because, you know, we know what Tanner was, th how, how highly thought of he was coming out of high school, very highly ranked, goes on a mission for a couple of years, and now is in his second year back in this system. Um, and we've seen Jack West play a little bit, but it's understandable if David Shaw thinks that, you know, there's more to him than what you've seen. I totally get that. We have a very limited body of work for, for Jack West. But I do think that if there really is a two-quarterback system here at play, given how similar these guys are as well in their skill set, we're not talking about a change of pace type guy. That's more of a mobile guy. Uh, it's a little bit concerning. You know, I mean, on the one hand you could say, well, Jack has been a lot better than people expect. That's why the competition's there. Or you could look at it and say, well, maybe Tanner hasn't really progressed at the pace that they had hoped for. And they're not ready to totally write Jack off yet because of that. So I think both those things are, are valid. Um, I hope this gets solved sooner rather than later. I think we'll find out shortly who's actually going to start the football game. Um, but I, I, I'm just not a big fan of the two-quarterback thing, and I think it's in Stanford's best interest to find that guy as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. And all that being said, I'm not surprised by how things have gone uh, in that respect uh, to this point. Uh, one. Yeah. So in the meantime, while Stanford's trying to break in a new starting quarterback, whomever it is, and we're certainly going to see uh, West and McKee for the foreseeable future, as a wide receiver, um, and you were, I'm sure, if I remember correctly, you were placed in this situation a few times during your Stanford days. How can a wide receiver help break in a new starting quarterback? Yeah. What are some things that can be done uh, with, in the wide receiver room to, to kind of help the guys along? 
Yeah, look, it's that's a great question because I, I think, you know, again, in talking about the entire conference, there's a number of guys, number of quarterbacks that are inexperienced that are jumping into situations, and some are in better situations than others. And some of that's a function of receiver play and just reliability at that position with what they have uh, as well as a tight end position. Uh, some of it's a function of offensive line and run game, right? Because, I mean, you're going to bring in an inexperienced quarterback I mean, what, like, look at Washington. I mean, Dylan Morris last year, like, played really well, largely because of how good they were defensively and because how well they, were, they could run the ball. And so when I look at Stanford, really all facets of what they have offensively, I'm really encouraged for the offensive line this year. A lot of guys got a lot of experience the last couple of years and mm-hmm. should be really good players. I'm really anxious to see if Austin Jones can emerge, right? Like, I, I really think Austin Jones, when this thing's all said and done, should be a household name. And if he, if he, if he does become a household name, then that means the offensive line played well and he helped his quarterback. And then lastly, to your part of the receiver position, I mean, there's all types of skill sets on Stanford's offense at receiver. I mean, from Elijah Higgins to Bryson Tremaine to John Humphreys, a uh, little bit concerning that we're not seeing Michael Wilson on the initial depth chart. I know he hasn't practiced at all in training camp. He's one of their veteran leaders. He represented Stanford at Pactual Media Day, and he's, he, he's got to be out there. So to not see him on there is a little bit concerning. But uh, it's, it's really what it comes down to, to come back to your original question, is being reliable and being a guy that your quarterback can depend on. Right, because quarterbacks that don't have a lot of experience, they need their guys to make plays for them, especially early in the year, so they can start to develop that level of confidence necessary to just carry them through the year and continue to get better. Because young quarterbacks without much experience, they can be rattled pretty quickly by things sometimes that aren't even entirely their fault. Maybe receivers don't make the right read, or they don't make they don't make a catch. They can't rely on them in certain situations. All that stuff comes into play to help a young quarterback gain the confidence he needs to really take control of the offense. And like I said, you got two guys that are trying to separate themselves, and it's, it's, it's equally on those receivers and those running backs and offensive linemen to give one of those guys a chance or you know, even both of them a chance to, to be successful. And those guys got to make plays too. This is the ultimate team game, so you got to do your thing. Yeah, yeah, it takes a total, total team effort. And the good news that Stanford has the running game, the wide receiver room, even though Michael Wilson, we might not see him until midseason, certainly the offensive line. But ah, you need a quarterback if you're going to do big things in the Pac-12. Um, what's your overall read on Stanford coming into this year yeah. and, and some things that it's capable of and how far it could possibly go? Yeah, so, you know, generally speaking, and this is Stanford's just a, a great discussion this year in the Pac-12 because, you know, they're – in the, in the preseason media poll, they're picked fourth in the North, right? Which is, which is not great, right? That means people expect them, like the media expects them to finish in the bottom half of, half of the North division. Um, one of the things I, I continue to be amazed about is I think people overlook what Stanford accomplished last year. Uh, that seems to go largely unnoticed. To, mm-hmm. start the, to start the season 0-2 against Oregon and Colorado, not have Davis Mills in game one, and then not really have him for practice in week two, and they lose to Colorado, played better in the second half, but too little too late. And then to rattle off four straight wins to finish the season, three of which are during that period, as you know, Troy, when they're basically banished from Santa Clara County. They can't come back to Palo Alto. They can't come back to their home to keep practicing. So they had really three straight road games, and they were on the road for three straight weeks. To win all those games is an incredible accomplishment. And so coming off of that season, yes, they lose Davis Mills. Yes, they lose Simi Pehoko, which are big losses. But I think people already – weren't giving them enough attention for what they accomplished at the end of last year. And then secondly, when I look at the team heading into this season, um, I don't think rankings and preseason expectations are ever kind to teams that have a lot of quarterback uncertainty Mm -hmm. with the exception of maybe Utah, right? Because Utah, I mean, yes, they have Charlie Brewer, but Utah always seems to check every other box and people just assume that they're going to be a tough physical team under Kyle Whittingham. And that's the way they always are. Um, 
So, yes, if I got three, three concerns for Stanford, they're as follows. One, the quarterback position we just discussed. Uh, two, and this is a big one, um, does the front seven on defense solidify and become a strength of this football team? Because the best Stanford teams of the last decade, you know, despite having elite backs and really good players on the outside, were such dominant teams in the front seven. And I look at this Stanford team right now, especially, you know, you go back to last year. Um, over the last two seasons, Stanford is ranked 114th in the country in QB pressures. Now, that's not the Stanford we remember from 15 and 16, nope. and, you know, 14, 15, 16, right? Here's another stat for you. They were 115th in the country last year in run defense at 5.5 yards per carry allowed. And then the previous, or in addition to that, they allowed 6.6 .6 yards per play. So, you know, they've had some playmakers in the secondary, and I know they do again this year. Uh, but I want to see that front seven emerge and solidify. Thomas Booker, Dalen Wade Perry, uh, Ricky Miazon, Jacob Megan Farrar, guys that have been banged up most of their Stanford careers. I want to see them out on the field consistently making plays because I, I don't think this front seven has had a true elite game-changing player since Harrison Phillips. Hmm. And that's a problem, right? Like, th yes, they've had some players, but they have not had a guy that you're like, okay, that's a dude. And I think Thomas Booker's got a chance to be that guy. I think one of those young linebackers that's missed a lot of time in Miazon and Megan Farrar, those guys got a chance to be special players as well. But as a group, they got to come together and stop people from running the ball on them, and they got to get after the passer because that's what made them so special for so long. And then lastly, Troy, the third thing is, does Austin Jones emerge as a, as a household name? I already mentioned that before. But if he does, I think it, it, it's an indicator of a lot of positive things, that they've played well up front. They've achieved balance offensively. They've been able to run the ball on their terms. I think Austin has that ability, along with Nathaniel Pete kind of being a change of pace guy. And I'm, I'm really anxious to see because, look, great Stanford teams of the last 10, 15 years, Toby Gerhardt, Stephon Taylor, Tyler Gaffney, Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love, not necessarily in that order. Mm -hmm. Those guys all became feature backs in those offenses. And, and I, I do think Stanford needs someone to emerge at that position and be a feature back because that's been a signature of all the good Stanford teams. And oh, by the way, the running back room, very, very deep with Nathaniel Pete behind him. We haven't really seen Casey Pilkins or EJ Smith to this point, but uh, those two yeah. could certainly uh, uh, add some things um, as well. Um, let's pan it back to the entire conference right now. And, and to me, when I sat down in, in, in mid-July and I filled out my, uh, uh, my, my Pac-12 uh, ballot, my Pac-12 preseason poll ballot, and I was like, okay, well, I, I'm pretty sure that Oregon's going to win the North and that Arizona's going to finish at the bottom of the South. Outside of that, <laughs> I have no idea what else is going to happen. Yeah. As you look at it now, and maybe as things become a bit more clear as we sit here uh, with, uh, the, uh, with uh, week one kicking off, uh, what yeah. are your known quantities around the Pac-12 right now? Yeah, you know, I, I would, I'd say there are not many, but, and normally that might have a negative connotation to it, because I do think this is going to be a good year for the Pac-12. I think there's, this is a deep conference, and I think there's four or five teams that are could be, or maybe more, that could be in, in the conversation when things are all said and done. Uh, I think it's going to be the year of the running back in the conference. I think there are, as we saw in the opener last week with UCLA, you know, between Zach Charbonnet and Britton Brown, and there are 10 legit backs in this conference, as you, if you go up and down the coast. I mean, there are some really good running backs in this conference. Now, I agree with you in the North. Oregon, I think, is, by, by virtue of their talent, yes, there's questions, I think, on the offensive line and the quarterback position, but... Mm -hmm. They are just loaded across the board, and I think that's your safest bet. Um, behind them in the north, I think Washington, Cal, and Stanford are, are all equally in that discussion for me. I mean, Washington's getting more love. You know, I know they got a national ranking to start the season, too, but I think all three. You know, Stanford gets them at home this year, and I think all three are in the – and I think people are overlooking Cal a little bit, too. 
the South is where it gets really interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, generally I've agreed with most that USC, Utah, ASU are kind of, you know, pick which one you want to put atop the South. And I think they all have kind of an equal shot at this point. Um, I am very inclined, not just because of week zero, but I think you, uh, what UCLA is capable of, I think they have a very high ceiling and they could surprise some people this year. Not as high on USC. Uh, the, the, the style of play and the lack of physicality concerns me. Uh, since Graham Harrell arrived, their offensive coordinator two years ago and installed the air raid system, they've run for about 105 yards a game. And that just doesn't, in the, in the greater scheme of college football, we're talking power. It's like teams to win power five conferences and get a chance to go to the playoff. Those teams don't run for 105 yards a game. It's just, it's not a sustainable winning model. And the way USC is building things there with lack of strength on the offensive line, uh, kind of a turnstile at the tackle position, uh, it concerns me. And I, I just think they're putting too much on the shoulders of Keaton Slovis. And I'm not even, I'm not convinced that he has the ability to live up to what people, uh, what they really need from him if they're going to be successful this year. Um, so, you know, Again, whether we're talking SC, Utah, ASU, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Cal, Stanford, I think all of those teams could be in the discussion at some point this year to win the conference. That's how deep I think it is. And again, some may say that's a negative thing. There's no elite team, but I think it's just a function of just good quality football this year in the Pac-12, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and uh, UCLA, I felt for weeks, even before I saw what they did to Hawaii on Saturday, I felt that uh, UCLA uh, could very well beat LSU. They'll certainly get that chance sure. uh, this upcoming week. And if they do get that win, somehow it would just mean more. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying. I think you're right, man. You've done Big 12 games before, calling uh, yeah. games on, on the Fox package and, and, and working for the broadcast partner that the Big 12 isn't mad at right now. So congratulations on yeah. that. Um, <laughs> Kansas State, Stanford's first opponent. You've seen these guys yeah. a little bit over the past couple of years. Uh, your initial read on the Wildcats, a little bit of intel on uh, what K-State might bring. Yeah, K-State's an interesting deal in the Big 12 because for a long time under Bill Snyder, who retired a few years ago, Chris Kleiman, their head coach now, has been there. This will be his third year. Previously, it was the the late Bill – or not the late – Bill Snyder, who's been around for a very, very long time. And, you know, they they were like an exception in that conference. In a lot of ways, uh, they're kind of like the Stanford of the Big 12 as far as the style of football they play. Very physical. Now, granted, their run game sometimes is a little more option-based as opposed to the stuff that Stanford would do, but – they would load up, bring tight ends and fullbacks in the game and try to you know, be more physical than you were. And in that conference, they could do it. And they built kind of a mentality and a brand and a certain type of recruiting they were going after. Because of that, because of this little niche they, they built there, I think the Chris Kleiman hire when they did it, when they pulled him away from North Dakota State a couple years ago, was one of the best hires in college football in the last 10 years. Because I think it fit what they were doing perfectly. Chris has sort of maintained, they had a losing season last year, but the year before they were solid. He sort of maintained that unique identity in that conference for that team. And it's ironic because I called a Kansas State game, I think it was five years ago, uh, down in Lubbock. They were playing Texas Tech, and uh, Skylar Thompson started that game. (laughs) And Skylar Thompson is now, I believe, a sixth-year senior. And it seems like he's been around forever. I can't believe he's still playing college football. But if I can make a comparison, Skylar Thompson, their quarterback, who's going to start against Stanford, he was banged up a little bit last year. in a way, I think there's a lot of similarities to, to Zach Wilson. Now, I don't think he has Zach Wilson's arm, but just Zach Wilson's athleticism. And, uh, you know, they're going to see Skyler run it more than Zach Wilson ever did because of the type of, you know, they'll, they'll run some quarterback option stuff with him as well. But he can throw it. And he's, he's an athlete. He can move. Very strong arm. Um, they've also got Deuce Vaughn back there in the backfield behind him. It's kind of like a little bit of a Darren Sproles, maybe a little bit bigger than Darren when during Darren stays at Kansas State. So 
it's a, it's always a tough out against Kansas State. They will do things offensively that cause problems for virtually anybody they play because people just don't really do much of what they do in college football anymore. So anytime you face them, it's, it's, it's a challenge for defenses to prepare for them, especially in that conference. Stanford, I think, will be a little bit more prepared for it. Um, but in that conference, I think it, it's become a big challenge. And look, I mean, it, Stanford's, a, I think, a two-and-a-half-point underdog in this game. And I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit surprised to see that at this point. But then again, I don't think odds makers and you know, preseason prognosticators, they don't, they don't give much slack to teams that don't have clarity at quarterback. And I think that's the difference in, in handicapping this game, so to speak, is Skylar Thompson versus whoever Stanford's going to put out there. I think Vegas treats that as a little bit of an issue for Stanford not having identified their quarterback. But nonetheless, it, it's a huge one for both teams, Troy. Look, Stanford doesn't have anything but power five opponents on its schedule this year. Um, it misses Arizona and Colorado in the south which is not the teams you want to miss this year that are, that are projected at the bottom of the South. Right. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a brutal schedule. Now, yes, it's an, it's an odd year. So they get Notre Dame, USC, Oregon, and Washington at home, which is what they get every odd year, which is really good for them not have to go on the road to play those teams. But this schedule is brutal. And if you're going to find a way to get eight, nine, 10 wins, you know, this game in Dallas week, 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 week one at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. local time becomes a must win game for Stanford. Yeah, no doubt about that. Not just the first three re- the first three weeks, the first three road games for Stanford from a from a scheduling standpoint. Yeah. Uh, the next yeah. three after that, my goodness, UCLA comes up here, Oregon comes up here, then a short week to Arizona State. So you know, folks, focus on the first three games for Stanford schedule wise, but those next three, uh, those are going to be a real real gauntlet. I think we'll learn a lot about the Cardinals specifically during that stretch. Um, as we wrap this up, last thing for you here, and it's, this will be a fill in the blank question for you. Stanford yep. can win the North if blank. Well, Stan, you want what most people want to hear is that a quarterback emerges and becomes a star, and I'm not going there. Stanford can win the North if that front seven becomes what a Stanford front seven is supposed to be on defense and makes it so teams do not run the ball on them effectively and they get after the passer. If they do that, they've got a chance to win the North. If they don't, I don't care if Tanner McKee becomes an all-conference player. And Austin Jones becomes a stud. If they don't stop people better than they did last year, even though they were four and two last year, but really better than they had the last two or three years, uh, it's going to be impossible to win the conference. It really starts with that defensive front seven. That's where it has to happen. Yeah, and, and they were four and two last year, but uh, man, <laughs> three of those four yeah. wins were really, really. It was hairy. like I had cardiac issues following some of those games, so it doesn't have to be that hard, right? <laughs> that UCLA game last year still exhausts me when I even, when I even think That's about right. it. My goodness. That's right. <laughs> well, That's you, right. Four and two, and they were fortunate to win a couple of those games. We can't right? forget that. Those could have gone either way. Yeah, certainly. But they went Stanford's way, and the Cardinal hoping to uh, maintain that momentum coming in to the 2021 season. Uh, he's one of the best in the biz uh, for, for my money, folks. And he's certainly one of my favorite guests uh, to have him on the tree cast and certainly glad that we could have him right here out the gate in week one. You see him on Fox. You hear him on Pac-12 this morning on Sirius XM. My man, Evan Moore. Evan, thanks a bunch. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Looking forward to crossing paths with you again at some point soon. And we'll talk again down the road. Troy, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Looking forward to doing it again soon. That's my man, Evan Moore. Uh, always great to catch up with him. It was great to hang out with him uh, for a bit at uh, Pac-12 Football Media Day down in L.A. Um, in late July. And uh, looking forward to our chance to uh, cross paths at some point, hopefully, um, during the season. And uh, 
Look, as, as I told him when I was filling out my Pac-12 preseason ballot back in mid-July, I was like, okay, Oregon probably going to win the North, probably going to win the whole uh, probably going to win the whole conference, and Arizona's probably going to finish at the bottom at the South. Everything else, I have no idea. I have no idea. Now, in the North, I did have Oregon, Cal, Stanford, Washington. Am I crazy for picking the Huskies fourth? Uh, Oregon State and Washington State. And in the South, I had USC, UCLA, Utah, Arizona State, there's just too much going on around that program for me to think that they're going to be able to do big things this year. And then Colorado and then Arizona to finish out. So there is certainly going to be a whole lot of things to watch, specifically in the South. But uh, the North uh, certainly, I think, holds a lot of uh, intrigue as well. Because I certainly think that even though I've got Cal, Stanford, and Washington 2, 3, and 4 in my Pac-12 preseason ballot, and nothing really changed over the past, what, six, seven weeks for me to think about changing those things. But Cal Washington Stanford or Cal Stanford Washington were my two, three, four. Um, those three teams could finish in any order at two, three, and four, and, and it would not surprise me at all. So uh, good to get Evan Moore's thoughts on the Pac 12. And uh, yeah, you know, Stanford eked out a lot of games last year, eked out some wins last season. And the uncertainty at quarterback, perhaps those two. Uh, things are the big reasons why Vegas kind of doesn't seem to be as as hot on the Cardinals. Maybe they should be, but we'll see. We'll see. The good news is we start getting answers uh, beginning this upcoming Saturday down in Jerry World, also known as AT and T Stadium, where the Dallas Cowboys play in Arlington, Texas. Smack in the middle of the Metroplex, Stanford versus Kansas State, a 9 a.m. per uh, 9 a.m. almost a pregame show. No, I wish 9 a.m. kickoff Pacific time. <laughs> here between the Cardinal and the Wildcats. And as you know, David Shaw not too thrilled about those early early kickoffs. Not really doing anything out of the ordinary in preparation for that early kickoff. Uh, they did have a practice on Tuesday morning, but they're flying in on Friday, have a walkthrough at the stadium the night before, and then back at it first thing in the morning um, on Saturday. So they're, uh, uh, they've, they've got the sleep consultants. They've, they've gone through this, and they're not going to really do anything that much different uh, as far as their approach is concerned uh, for this early kickoff in the central time zone. Now, whenever you have a non-conference matchup involving a Pac-12 team, obviously everyone tries to attach so much more importance to it than maybe they probably should. And on some levels, I get it, right? I mean, look, the Pac-12, uh, the image isn't that great nationwide, the reputation isn't that great nationwide? So, 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 folks, I think maybe try to attach some different meanings to Pac-12 non-conference games that that maybe aren't quite there. Um, that being said, hey, David Shaw, how important is it for Stanford to to go back into another another team's time zone, two time zones away, and show well and perhaps do well with a national spotlight? I guess they're important because everybody keeps telling us they're important. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that way. Um, we want to win every game we play, regardless of who, who, who it is. Um, you know, we're, we're not out to impress anybody except ourselves. Um, so I think when you think too much that way, uh, now you're trying to win for other reasons other than just trying to win the game. Um, so we're not trying to impress the playoff committee. We're not trying to impress the East coast media. We're not playing that game. Um, we think we have a really good football team. And uh, we're going to try and go out there and show it and hopefully find a way to win in the end. And David Sean, he's right. You know, is, is Stanford carrying the torch for the Pac-12? Well, 
Not as big, I think, as maybe some folks would believe. Now, that changes if they lose. If Stanford loses to Kansas State, then I think all the usual suspects will, will crawl all over themselves to declare the Pac-12 an inferior product and say, oh, I see, I told you, the Pac-12, they can't even beat a team from the Big 12. And that conference is crumbling right before our eyes. We told you the Pac-12 football product was inferior. And if Stanford beats Kansas State, it's probably not going to really ripple that much uh, on, on the nation, on the national consciousness. That's just kind of how it works, unfortunately, as of right now. So Stanford, you know, are they carrying the, the, the torch for the Pac-12 this week? I don't think so. Now, if Stanford loses, then it's going to get spun into somehow an indictment on the entire conference. No matter whose torch Stanford is carrying, Cardinal running back Austin Jones just wants to make sure the Cardinal carry their own flag in the North Texas. I'm just most excited about going out there and kind of just showing, showing the country what kind of team we are and how we're going to prove our mentality that Stanford comes out and, you know, we play tough, we play strong. And a lot, I think a lot of people kind of last year and years prior have kind of we've gotten away from that and they think that we're not what we used to be. We're not the old Stanford. So it's going to be very exciting to kind of just prove the doubters and show that we're back to the old Stanford way. Spot on from Austin Jones right there. Look, if anyone's carrying the torch for the Pac-12 this week, it's, it's, it's UCLA, right? I mean, they're facing LSU. I mean, that's, that's the marquee game of the weekend uh, down at the Rose Bowl, a game that I've, I've had circled on my calendar uh, since they announced that matchup a couple of years ago. I cannot wait to check that game out. And I have a feeling, and I've had this feeling for weeks, that UCLA is going to beat LSU. Pretty sure that that's going to happen. But back to the matter at hand for Stanford. As the Cardinal face Kansas State, a bit on the Wildcats, they started 4-0 last year, and then the wheels fell off and they finished 4-6. and uh, Quarterback Skylar Thompson, uh, Evan Moore and I talked about him a few moments ago, a super senior and he's setting Wildcat records that only guys like El Roberson, remember him, uh, could claim. And Thompson's injury last year uh, set Kansas State's uh, season-ending skid in motion. So uh, kind of an, a, an illustration of how important that guy is to that program right now. Offensively, they'll play a lot of different skill sets, a lot of different personnel groupings, and throw a lot of different things at you. Cardinal defensive lineman Thomas Booker shares his impression of the Wildcats. They're a really talented team. Uh, they got a really, really good running back in number 22. Um, and they got an offensive line that plays really well together. And they have a lot of varied sets, you know. Um, so we're excited for the challenge. We think it's a great way to open up the season. Um, there's so many different blocks and stuff that we'll get. that It'll be a great primer and test for us uh, early in the year. Yeah, number 22 offensively for Kansas State is uh, running back Deuce Vaughn. Booker mentioned him. And Vaughn's certainly a big-time weapon for him, a preseason All-American. Uh, he ran for over 600 yards and caught passes for over 400 more last year. Only two other guys in all of college football did that in 2020. Najee Harris at Alabama and Travis Etienne at Clemson. And both those guys got drafted in the first round. So there is that. Deuce Vaughn certainly proving his worth in his freshman season for the Wildcats last year. And another guy to watch, even though he's not on the top of the depth chart at tight end for K-State, but it's a familiar name for Stanford fans and one that's still super hard to pronounce, Daniel Imatorbebe. Remember him from USC, especially in that 2017 season? Yep, he's, he's transferred. Now he's playing 
for Kansas State. Wildcats feel good about their defense, particularly their, uh, especially their speed and their experience. Uh, safety, Jerome McPherson, probably uh, the Wildcats' best defensive player. Linebackers might not have quite as much experience as the other units, but they're they're still they're still a unit to uh, to, to to reckon with. So there's certainly a lot of different things. Look, Kansas State isn't going to be mistaken for an, an upper tier Big Twelve team, right? Heck, we could argue that there's really only one upper tier team in the Big Twelve right now, and that's Oklahoma, and they're about to head out the door and take Texas with them. But certainly, this is a team that that I think is perhaps on the same plane as Stanford in a lot of different ways. They're looking for a breakthrough season too. And they've certainly racked up some, some, some key wins, some critical wins over the last couple of years. And they would love to, to, to stop the, the skid that marked their season last year. So K-State certainly with enough uh, to give Stanford a handful as uh, they'll square off in North Texas. Keys to the game. Um, I think one important thing to watch is what happens, and hopefully we see this, but what happens if Stanford gets out to a big lead? Can they hold on to it? Well, last year, they were able to hold on to big leads, but barely, by the skins of their teeth. And David Shaw, I think, and we, he talked about this at points throughout the course of last season, Shaw attributed that to maturity. He said, look, we're not mature enough to, to close out big leads just yet. Well, I asked David Shaw how much better he feels about the maturity defensively for his team to close out big leads this year. Shaw's response? Um, I do think defensively we, we slipped a little bit at the end of some of those games, but I also know offensively, three games for sure, four games actually, we had a chance to put them away and we didn't offensively. Um, Cal, Washington, Oregon State, um, and obviously UCLA. Um, those were opportunities for the offense to go up by multiple scores in the fourth quarter, and uh, we're not able to do that. Um, UCLA were able, you know, could have put the thing away at the beginning of the second half, and we weren't able to do that. So it's offense and defense working together. Yeah, and Shaw, quick to note that it was the offense as well that uh, maybe could have gotten a couple more first downs here or there that could have closed out some leads. So if Stanford has a, a lead, can they hold on to it? Those are critical and crucial, especially on the road. Uh, key number two, special teams. Stanford and Kansas State usually very strong in that department. Wildcats did very well in blocking punts and kicks last year, and Stanford uh, they've largely done quite well in special teams over the year themselves. Cardinal, however, don't forget, they're breaking in the new starting kicker in Joshua Cardi. So let's certainly keep an eye on that. By the way, I'm, I'm still kind of irked about that questionable flag that wiped out Chris McCaffrey's eye-popping punt return touchdown when those two met at Stanford in 2016. One of the greatest plays, uh, certainly in recent memory in Stanford football, uh, that, that, won't, that, that, that won't go on the stat sheet. That never counted. Unfortunate, and that, it still kind of irks me a little bit. Uh, key number three, and we mentioned this earlier in the show, but the Stanford quarterbacks, no matter who they are, West, McKee, they're going to have to combine to make four big throws in this one. Four big throws. Whether it's a chain mover, a touchdown, or just something that, that gets Stanford out of trouble, something that preserves a big lead, West and McKee are going to have to combine to make four big throws in this one. Would love to see Stanford get it done and get on the plane and head back to the Bay Area home happy and healthy. 
As always, I welcome your thoughts on Stanford football. That's what we do best on this program, even though we've, we've widened the scope, certainly over the last year and a half, given uh, how things turned out. Uh, but uh, Stanford football and talking Stanford football is what we do best. Love getting your thoughts. Hit me up on the uh, Twitter. Follow me at Troy Clarity. That's name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. And also your thoughts, best seen by me on Twitter when you hit me with the hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. Always appreciate it when you do just that. And again, this is the perfect time to subscribe to the show. And when you do, you don't have to worry about downloading it every week. Boom, it's right there waiting for you via your favorite listening app. Subscribe to the show. Rate and review the program. Uh, react to it on your on your favorite message board of choice. And above all, above all enjoy the show. We always appreciate the uh, interactivity with Stanford fans. And our next show will come at you on Sunday. And we'll definitely have post-game thoughts, breakdown, and analysis of the outcome from Stanford versus Kansas State. I can't wait. Best time of year. Best time of year right here. And the best time of year is just about to begin. Our special thanks to our special guest, Evan Moore from Fox Sports, former Stanford wide receiver, college football analyst, and co-host of the Pac-12 This Morning on Sirius XM Channel 373. Our thanks, as always, to uh, Evan Moore for joining us. And our thanks, as always, to you for being a part of the show. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and back the vac. Get that shot. If you haven't done it yet, get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. Let's, let's, let's make sure we're all doing our parts to get through this pandemic together. We'll talk to you Sunday. Thanks for checking us out on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network.